folks. Welcome to another prospect interview on the No Ceilings NBA podcast feed. I am Maxwell Baumbach, and I am joined at this time by one of the most exciting dynamic scorers in the entire world of basketball, for <laughs> being real. Uh, but there's more to his game than that. We're going to talk about that, his whole journey. I'm joined by Jordan Jelly Walker. How are you doing today? Man, I appreciate you having me on this show. For sure. We're, we're really glad to have you. Um, you're obviously going to be in the Portsmouth Invitational, which is coming up. So big yeah. opportunity for you to kind of show off your game and, and show what you can do. Um, but let's start at the, at the very beginning. How did you get into basketball growing up? Um, oh, the brother Ahmad. Ahmad, he, he put the ball in my cradle, as you could say. And, <laughs> and since ever since I was probably five years old, it's been, you know what I'm saying, like the love of my life, you know what I'm saying? So Yeah, yeah. It's been like that since I was five. So, but definitely mm-hmm. my brother Ahmad, he's the one taught me everything I know. Mm-hmm. And I just built on it as I got older and kept practicing what he taught me. Were there like players or teams or like anybody that you watched growing up where you're like, man, that guy, like that, that's a guy that like I want to take after. That's a guy. Yeah, that yeah for sure. For sure. Um, I mean, when I was younger, uh, Steve Nash was still in the league. Yeah. Yeah. I liked him because he was little. Um, mm-hmm. I love hot sauce. I'm from New York. So the yeah, M- yeah. The mm-hmm. tape stuff. That's when it first started mm-hmm. to come out on YouTube too. Cause I'm born mm-hmm. in 99. So I would say around like the 2005, 2006 era, that's when like, and when mixtape started. And that's when people started going on YouTube heavy for mixtapes and stuff. Like yeah. That. Yeah. So hot sauce, of course, um, Kyrie, because, mm-hmm. uh, in the tri-state area, I don't know about like from like New York, New Jersey, Connecticut, like that area, we had something called MSG Varsity. Okay. And it was something like back in the day, it used to have like its own demand channel. You know what I'm saying? Oh, so, that's cool. Okay. Yeah, so like you could rewatch every like game that was on MSG Varsity and they mm-hmm. were always going from New Jersey to Connecticut. Mm-hmm. So I, I was watching all the Kyrie Irving's games when he was at uh, St. Pat's. That's the reason why I ended up going to that high school. Oh, that's cool. But yeah, mm-hmm. I watched all of his high school games every day. Every day, like <laughs> – when I got home from school, I would play, mm-hmm. like run it back, and then I'll watch him play every every day after school. So Kyrie was a person. Uh, John Wall, yeah, I actually, I actually got got to meet recently. So mm-hmm. yeah, I used to watch him all the time and his mixtapes and stuff. So those are and LeBron James, obviously, like mm-hmm. that's my goal. John Wall is like crazy underappreciated. Yeah. And, like, so like I so his his freshman year of college was my freshman year of college. Oh, okay. And like people like. I don't think like, like, obviously you get, like you get John wall, like you're, you're watching him, but like people don't appreciate, like he was like a cultural phenomenon when he was in college, like his one and done season. Like he did that dance at a pepper rally and everybody in my college was doing it at the parties. Like he was, he was a huge deal. He was like one of the biggest players ever back in the day. Like, especially that's what I'm talking about. The mixtape game. Like that's when Mm -hmm. the mixtape started to come and his hoop mixtape, when he was at Holy Rams, when he did the sham guard and the purple and go mm-hmm. with the left, like, bro, everyone, everyone yeah. knows about John Wall. But yeah, yeah those are probably the people I, I watched most when I was younger. As I got older, I started to watch different people, like, you mm-hmm. know what I'm saying, to incorporate in my game and stuff like that. Um, so for people that are sort of unfamiliar with the backstory, where did, where did the jelly nickname come from? Because <laughs> that kind of ties into a lot of the stuff that we yeah, talked yeah, about. Yeah, I get like all the time, but I'm part of the the Jelly Fam. Yeah, yeah. Super Bus. It's me, Leandre Washington, Isaiah Washington, Javon Quinterly, as people probably know about that one. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sydney Wilson, Pedro Marquez, 
and Malisha Reed, who was at she was actually in the NCAA tournament this year with Ole Miss. Mm-hmm. I mean St. John's. She was at Ole Miss. Yep. Yeah. I don't think I'm forgetting any. I think those are all of them. And Najee Reed. Najee yeah, Reed. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. Najee Reed. So that that's with part of Jelly Fam. And Jelly is just like a, a finger roll layup, you know, and mm-hmm. put your own flavor on it, I guess. Um, but yeah, I've been Jelly Fam since I was in eighth grade, you know. And it blew up when we were in high school. It definitely blew up, I would say, like worldwide where people, everyone was saying that jelly instead of, yeah. I would say probably my junior year going into my senior year, like that junior, senior year before I went to college, that's Mm -hmm. when Jelly Fam got, like, it was, it was like, it was big. Yeah. You couldn't escape it. Like, if you were just like involved, like if you followed basketball and like basketball culture, like it, it came up. Yeah. Yes. So basically, my name's Jordan. And we're all the crazy part. The funny part is like when we were all at our separate schools, like everyone calls us jelly. I'm saying, I don't know about yeah, Nazi. I mean, maybe I would say, yeah, because at LSU they were calling him big jelly. So everyone Mm -hmm. at our own separate places, like they would call us jelly. (laughs) All jelly, yeah. Saying so Mm -hmm. it would but when we get around each other, like they call me J O, like you know what I'm saying, Isaiah, we call him dimes or Zay, you know what I'm saying? Pedro, we're gonna pay, Leandre, we call him Dre, like. Feel me, so stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So, but I mean, my coach, I and I feel like everyone around me just called me Jelly so much. It was to the point the announcers and stuff started calling me Jelly. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? It was as if people really thought that was my real name. Like my name is Jordan, but the J and the J just goes together. So I just my nickname is just Jelly. So that's mm-hmm. what people call me, and I feel like that's like my my basketball nickname. Like when people, like you know, some people like CP3 for Chris Paul. Yeah, yeah. Like jelly is my nickname. Mm-hmm. So you, uh, you were pretty, you gained a lot of steam like throughout throughout high school. Yeah. Um, you end up going to Seton Hall, yep. and I think like a lot of people that are like kind of like late to the party with you, they're like, oh no, he's like the guy, he's the guy from UAV. Yeah. Um, but like you, you started at Seton Hall, and you didn't get a ton of playing time there. Yeah. And you transferred, and this is pre-transfer portal. This is before the days of yeah. everybody transfers. Exactly. So there, so there was like a little bit of a stigma to it back then. Absolutely. I mean. Um, so yeah, so like when you did that, what was what was your thought process? How did you kind of get through the adversity of that stigma? And like, what advice would you give to to players who were in the situation that you were in, where you know you go to school, it's not maybe what you thought it was, it didn't work yeah. out a certain way, and and now you're you're kind of questioning if if you made the right choice. I mean, well, Seton Hall, like a lot of people think I left because I wasn't getting any minutes, and that that was never me. Like if people knew my story from. Before I went to college, like I, I never started on any team. Okay. I didn't even play in high school till my junior year. Oh, and really? I didn't okay. Start on a team until my senior year of high school. Interesting. Okay. Saying, so me not getting minutes has never been like a big deal for me. I, I tore mm-hmm. the ligaments in my thumb. Okay. Uh, the second game of the season at Seton Hall, and I thought I was going to get a red shirt. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Then come back next year, a freshman all over again, instead of wasting that year because my finger was hurt. You know what I'm saying? Damn near the whole year. Yeah. Till I ended up getting surgery towards the end of the year, right before March Madness. And then obviously it felt better months later. And I have no problem with it now, but that's, I thought I was going to be able to get the register and I didn't. So that's mm-hmm. another story. But um, yeah, I mean, the stigma of transferring back then was, was like, oh, he's a head case or, oh, mm-hmm. he, he doesn't want to sit behind players or, you know what I'm saying? Oh, he doesn't want to buy into the culture and, and it's not really none of that. You know what I'm saying? It's like, well, then like, sorry to cut you off, but it's also weird. Cause like at the time it was like, you had to sit out a year. 
yes. if you wanted to yeah, transfer. So it wasn't like, oh, yeah, oh, he doesn't want to sit behind people. It's like, we need to sit out a full year to go exactly. somewhere else. Like, exactly my point. Can't be the entire story. Exactly my point. So, like, and that was the stigma. That was the stigma behind it. Like, even when Javon Corney left Villanova, like, and he spoke to me about it before he left. You know what I'm saying? He's like, hey, this is what I'm thinking about doing, da-da-da. Like, how did you get through it? And I said, bro, at the end of the day, like, people are going to say what they want about you. You know what I'm saying? And we're not – I'm not a player that people don't know who I am. You know what I'm saying? Obviously, a part mm-hmm. of the Jelly fam. My name is already well-known in basketball because of the Jelly fam stuff. Not in for what I've done in college yet, but for what – like, just because of who I am and Instagram and social media was getting so – like I would say big by my senior year and going into my freshman year as social media was like, you know, skyrocketing and stuff like that. So um, uh, it was difficult, but I had to just tell myself that, Hey, people are going to talk about you regardless, whether you do good, whether you do bad things. And that's social media nowadays. You know what I'm saying? You Mm -hmm. see people all the time now critiquing stuff that they have no idea about, you know what I'm saying? And Mm -hmm. that's just what comes with it. Everyone has a voice in social media. Or so everyone thinks they have a voice. You know what I'm saying? That mm-hmm. matters. So I just had to get through the point where it's like, hey, at the end of the day, ooh. You hear mm-hmm. still? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, it's, uh, at the end of the day, it's just, uh, um, uh, everyone has, I mean, you just got to ignore it, you know? And yeah, the yeah, sit yeah, out yeah. year stuff, mm-hmm. ooh, that was the hardest year of my life. Yeah, so uh, what's that like? Far so- the hardest year of my life. So what, like, like, are you not being able to travel with the team, not being able Mm -hmm. to play basketball, like play and just sitting the bench and just watching people play in my year at Tulane, when I sat out, that's when we went 0 and 18 in conference play. And I'm thinking to myself, like, Ryan, I know, like, I know I could, I could help this team. Mm -hmm. So, All right, we lost him. I'm gonna I'm gonna get him back on real quick. But this is this has been a great conversation so far. Um, we're gonna reach out to him and get him back on the show here. Yeah, I mean it's it's really interesting, and I think this stuff that it's important to talk about. Like I think it's something that that I try to be cognizant of is the fact that like everybody reads everything. Right. And like, it's, I'll say one of the biggest surprises for me when I first started to do any sort of basketball media, any, any public facing work um, in basketball, it's just, this world's a lot smaller than you think it is. Um, and there's a lot of people that, that see everything you say. And when you were going at guys or when you're calling somebody a bum on social media or you're questioning somebody's character on social media, just like keep in mind that they're going to see it. Their family's going to see it. Like it's, it's tricky, right? Cause like you want to, and like, especially in like our a position, like we're in where we're our, our job at no ceilings is to evaluate players. Um, it's our job to uh, give a fair criticism, give a fair critique and, and be honest with, with where we see players and, um, and what we think of them. But at the same time, like there is still a real human element to this and it's, it's something that shouldn't be overlooked um, because yeah, this, a lot more people see, see what you're putting out there than, than you think. 
So we're uh, we're trying to get Jelly back on. Here we go. Was that me? Awesome. I I don't know, but we got you back. So I just I just talked a little bit while you were off just about how uh, how people got to be cognizant of like it's so in the social media age, like everyone sees the stuff you're saying about them too. Like it's it's a small world, and 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 people are seeing what you put out there. So um, can yeah, you hear me? I, Yep. Yeah. You're back. You're good. Are you able to hear me on, on your side? Oh, you're good. You're yeah. good. So, so you were talking about Tulane and yeah. this year you're sitting out there. So you guys were really struggling. I think you ended that year like four and 27 yes, and you weren't we able were to play four and 18 in conference. Didn't win a game. So imagine you like, it's different when you're sitting and like you're watching your team and you can be like, Hey, I'm, I'm learning a lot from them because we're winning and I'm learning how to win. I'm learning to see what it takes, like how to practice, you know what I'm saying? How to practice the right way, how, how the point guard of our team plays so I can see, okay, when I come, this is how I need to play. This is the reads I need to make. But it's like when you're 0-18, it's like you're just thinking like, like, bro, I wish I was out there to help them because I know I can help them. You know what I'm saying? And then things, yeah. I was doing, things I was doing in practice constantly, it's like I know for a fact I can help them. Yeah, you know? yeah. So it was hard. It was hard. But like it was it was the hardest year, but I would say the year I, I've worked the hardest in my entire life. And like people mm-hmm. don't believe me, but this is how I changed. Like when people say, like, how did you like become like a, a lethal shooter? Like I shot a thousand shots a day for seven months straight. Yeah. And yeah. people think I'm lying when I say like I'm like my coaches at Tulane, I, I wish like they could vouch for me. Like they would ask you, might you ask Mike Dunleavy or or Coach Ramo or, or mm-hmm. Coach Donald Flores or Tony Childs, they will all tell you, bro, he was in the gym every day. I shot mm-hmm. a thousand shots, not 999,000 <laughs> for seven mm-hmm. months straight, no days off, oh, man. thousand straight. And like it changed my whole jump shot. But that was like, it was difficult. So for players who are transferring stuff like that, I would say to them, like, I mean, it's nothing wrong with it. Sometimes you just don't work out together. Then sometimes, yeah, yeah. sometimes a coach's philosophy is 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 not like yours. You know what I'm saying? Or sometimes maybe the coach doesn't believe that you're you're a dynamic playmaker. He might just want you to be a spot up shooter. You know what I'm saying? And and mm-hmm. you feel like you could do that, and you go somewhere else, and you show that you can, and your coach believes that you can do it. So it's not mm-hmm. all necessarily saying like you're leaving because you're a head case or you don't like. You know what I'm saying? Or it comes with playing time because I think people leaving because of playing time is I don't agree with that one because a mm-hmm. lot of time when you don't play, it's it's probably because like you're not like either working hard enough or you got mm-hmm. a person in front of you who's been doing something well for so long. It's hard. Like, you know what I'm mm-hmm. saying? No coach is gonna just be like, Hey, I got trust in this dude for four years and he won me a a a, a championship in the conference, mm-hmm. and it's, it's gonna be like you're a freshman who knows no better. And it's just like, <laughs> Hey, I'm just going to yeah. put you out there in front of him. Like, that's not realistic. You know? It's, mm-hmm. So, but I mean, that's what I would say to kids is just, I mean, but you have to understand that like that waiver stuff, it might not always work. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. So if you're okay with sitting out a year. I mean, do what you do. Yeah. Well, I think like that's, that's part of the tricky thing too, is like you mentioned, like how a coach can envision a player versus like how a player may envision yeah, themselves. Yeah. And I think that's something that like, on on our side we need to be aware of too is like this is the rest like you were setting the table for the rest of your life with what you do in college it's no different than preparing yourself or going to school 
to get a degree in anything. Like it's exactly. no different than like getting a business degree. Like if you feel like you're not in a good position to succeed and show the world what you can do and put yourself in a, a position to, to propel yourself for life after college, like you got to do what you got to do. Like it's, exactly. it's a business decision. And, exactly. And, and I, think, I, think, I think people should be more aware of that. And I feel like when it comes to business decisions, I feel like a lot of coaches, uh, do business decisions with their players. You know what I'm saying? If they feel yeah. like you're not good enough for their team, they might say, Hey, like we don't want you to return next year. We need somebody else. You know what I'm saying? So that side doesn't get brought up a lot. Exactly. That side doesn't get brought up a lot, but you yes, get, you get a lot of guys to get pushed into training. There's a lot of people that get pushed into the transfer portal, but we don't, they don't speak about it a lot because they don't want to, they don't, a lot of coaches don't do it. Cause one, they don't want other players who can come there to see like, wow, that's what they did to a kid. Or at the same time, hurt that kid's reputation because what if he was a head case, but the coach doesn't want to, he likes him as a person, but he understands like mm-hmm. he's bad for my basketball team. So I can't, yeah. you know what I'm saying? So yeah. it goes hand in hand for sure. It's complex. Yeah. It's a lot yeah. more complex than like transfer portal good, transfer portal bad. Like, yeah. But there's, I, there's a lot more to it. I think the way people look at it now is, is way better than now sure. than it yeah. was back then. Mm-hmm. Um. So yeah, so you spent two seasons at Tulane. Yeah. Uh, then then two seasons at UAB. Yeah. UAB is where you kind of blow up and become yeah. like a, a phenomenon, like yeah. a a real like cult figure in yeah. in college basketball. Um. So you talked a little bit about the shooting. Uh. But okay. So let let's just like do some do some numbers here real quick. So you, uh, you were like a good a good three point shooter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, statistically. So you went from taking four. So your your junior year at Tulane, you take four point one threes per game. You make thirty two point six percent of that. Yeah. The next year, you take eight point six threes per game. So you more than double your volume, yeah. which is not a, a not a thing that normally happens. Like as yeah. somebody who looks at numbers and watches a ton of basketball, Absolutely. this is not common. You also then go from shooting thirty two point six percent to thirty nine point six percent. So usually if you get the percentage increase, usually the volume increase is small or does not happen. Yes. Was it just taking that many shots or did you change something mechanically? Did you change the speed of the shot? Like how, how does this happen? I would just say it's the confidence in my coaching. Okay. And then the confidence in me to where, cause I, I never was, I never, like I said, I never played for a team to where a coach believed like, like obviously jelly, I need you to, run my offense. I need you to do this. But at the same time, I know how you play and I know what shots you like to shoot. So I'm going to accept the shots that you like to shoot. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. So at the end of the day, it's like, I feel like it was both. I feel like it was the confidence my coach gave me in the shots I was allowed to take without coming out or getting benched. And And the confidence in me is just, man, like I know what shots like, like I can make and what shots I work on day in and day out, night in and night out. And I know mm-hmm. I can make them. And when it comes, when you have the confidence from the coaches and the confidence in yourself, it's hard to like stop a player like that. Yeah, yeah. So then again, this year, another volume increase from three. You took 18 threes per 100 possessions this year. So yeah. in, in like you're hitting a high clip. Like you ended up as a career 37.7% free three, uh, three-point shooter, which was like way above what you were before yeah, those last absolutely. two seasons while taking and, a ton of them. And the only reason why it really should have been 40, but the NIT tournament, I, I was in like a little bit of a slump. So it dropped. <laughs> I think, I think people can live with, with 37.8 on, on yeah. 10.8 a game. I think that's a good, a good number from, yeah. from three point land. Um, so you're like, 
I, I stress this a lot too. Like there's, and, and I wrote about Ben Shepard at Belmont this, this week. And like, one thing I said in that column is like, there's a difference between being an efficient three point shooter and yes. being a great three point shooter. Yes. Because like a lot of guys can like stand in the corner and take a wide open three and shoot yes. a good percentage, but yes. it's different versus like creating your own shots, hitting them off the dribble, hitting them flying off of a screen at movement without having your feet under you. Yes. Um, how do you like prepare yourself to take those kind of shots? Cause that's, that's the other thing too, is like, this is a very high percentage. The volume is very high, but you get a lot of attention from defenses and these are deep threes. These are threes off of movement. Like these are hard threes that you're very hard. Very hard. Yeah. I mean, the way I prepare myself. I mean, I really, I'm in the gym a lot. I'm in mm-hmm. the gym a lot. And, and I, I, I work on them threes and I, I was watching before. I, I think it was like before I went to UAB, like, I think the, the summer of like right when I was about to move into my uh, my apartment at UAB, I was watching like how Curry worked out. Okay. And when he shoots his threes, he goes full speed. Mm-hmm. Like he might walk back, you know what I'm saying? And that's okay with his workouts. Like he might walk back. But when he comes off like them down screens where he, he's coming off, what would that, I think that would be the, the left wing and he's curling mm-hmm. left, right into his shot. You know what I'm saying? He's going full speed. Mm-hmm. Or he's going right, left. When he's coming with the ball screen, he's hopping into it or right, mm-hmm. left or left, right or stuff like that or side steps. He's doing everything he does full speed. So that's what like when people when, when I work out and stuff like that, I, obviously catch and shoot is easy. But I try to do a lot of movement stuff. I try to do a lot of off the dribble or me just running at full speed and trying to stop on a dime and shoot. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying and and then be, and then I had to really work on it even more because my first year like conference play people were like i think it was averaging like 17 at uab mm-hmm. before going into conference like 16 okay and went up to 20 at the end of the year yeah it was uh like people were i was getting double teamed in conference play like i was getting boxing one like mm-hmm. stuff i've never seen before yeah I said, yeah my whole entire career i've always been like a backup or you know what i'm saying i didn't start until my senior year so i'm getting boxing one i'm getting denied full court i'm getting double team, damn near triple teamed, you know what I'm saying? And and it's like, if I don't score these many amount of points, we probably won't win. Yeah. You know so it's like, it's like, I just had to constantly work on it and, and mm-hmm. know that like, I got to be a tough shot maker. And I've always been a tough shot maker. I just never was able to really show people I'm a tough shot maker because, you know what I'm saying? I had to play my role and, and I'm okay yeah. with playing a role. I've always knew how to play a role, but my role at UAB was to be the star, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Was to be that guy. And um, I've always wanted it. So when I got it, I accepted it. <laughs> I, well, you did, you did well. You did well. Yeah, you know what I'm saying? So, so that, that's probably how I really got to like making them tough shots. Cause I really, I, I truly work on those type of shots. And people think like, yo, those are crazy. I, I truly work on those shots because at the end of the day, I don't get, regular shots like some people do in college yeah, yeah a lot of people look at other point guards in college and be like oh he's so efficient like look how he comes off these screens and stuff like that but a lot of point guards in, in college people are playing drop coverage on them because they don't think they can shoot like yeah that. yeah it's me mm-hmm. i'm coming up the ball screen. i'm getting blitzed till i get a ball up it's i'm getting blitzed till i get a ball up. i'm they're not stopping the double team till i get a ball up you know what i'm saying and mm-hmm. and, and people who know basketball understand like yeah that that's that's difficult. You know what I'm saying? And for me to still be able to shoot at a high clip, you know, it's difficult. Bro. Yeah. Yeah. Or, it's not easy. So you would say the biggest thing for your shooting was doing it at like 
full sprint speed yes. and not just game speed, even yes. when it's working out. Yes. yes, because sometimes in the game, I might be able to slow up a little bit, maybe if they mess up or they get hit on one of like Trey Jemison screens, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, big dude, up. big I'm dude, not, not a guy you want screening. Exactly. You know? But for the majority of the time, I'm getting chased the mm-hmm. whole time. I'm getting chased the whole time. Like whether I'm coming off the ball screen, whether I'm coming up a down screen or a flare screen or a stagger screen, it's I'm getting chased. So I have to run full speed. Yeah. So the next part of your game that I want to talk about, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna go, I'm gonna uh go on a little diatribe here real quick. Yeah. Is is your passing. Yeah. So you have a reputation as being a bucket getter because, yeah. because you are. That is yeah. that is something you do. Absolutely. Um but during your third college season, like there's there's a noticeable leap in your game that happens as a oh, player, yeah. I think. Um, but I think if people are just looking at you as a score, I think it's kind of doing them a bit of a disservice as far as like how they're evaluating you. So um, I keep this running database of yeah. player stats that either earned second contracts in the NBA or are on pace to earn second contracts in the NBA. Yeah. Your assist rate is like right in the middle of guys that like, stick in the nba as guards so when people are like oh like he's just a scorer it's like the assist rate is like the assist rate of like guys that stick in the nba and then your usage is really high obviously you face a lot of a lot of pressure defensively and your turnover rate this year was like half your assist rate so like your turnover the, the amount you turn it over in comparison to how often you have the ball and the amount of responsibility that you have is very low so like really like as a playmaker you stack out i think better than people that are just like oh that's the guy that scores a lot of points yes um so could you just talk about your evolution as a playmaker and how you've kind of improved in that role over time but also like the adjustments that you made this year is and like having that year under your belt where it's like this is my first year being the star yes and facing all this defensive attention and now it's kind of like slowing down for me yes 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 i mean well in high school when i was at the pageant school i played with nick richards Mm -hmm. and you know what i'm saying yep yeah, and I played with uh, Jameer Harris. He was at Seton Hall. Marcus McClary, he went to Monmouth. And I played with a lot of other great players, you know what I'm saying? So when I was in high school, I had to learn how to, like, I could always score. Like, that's one thing I've always able to do. Mm-hmm. But I had to learn how to be a true point guard. I had to learn how to be, like, all right, like, you got to get these other players involved because they're great players. You know what mm-hmm. I'm saying? And you have to keep them happy while at the same time showcasing how good you are and how talented you are. So I've always knew how to pass the ball and be a, a floor general. But when I got to UAB my first year, they, we needed scoring. You know what I'm saying? And and, and that's what I'm, I'm really good at. Like, it's second nature to me. But mm-hmm. I also un, understood how to pass the ball, too. But at the same time, it was my first time getting used to being doubled and triple teamed and boxing one and all stuff like that. So that's why I feel like I had a high, high turnovers last year. But then this year with the addition of Eric Gaines, you know, some stuff like yeah. that. Mm-hmm. Like it did take away some of, I mean, my usage I think was even higher this year. It, well, yeah. It did end up being, uh, yeah. it was like, it was like right in line with. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was damn near the same, which is crazy. Cause people gonna be like, well, Eric Gaines had the ball. Not really. My usage is the same thing basically, mm-hmm. but it was just, I was used to people doubling me. And like in the summertime, that's what my coach constantly preached. Like even before the season, he was like, this is how teams are going to guard Jelly. Like, this is how we have to attack them. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So I'm always, always constantly thinking about, like, all right, I'm probably going to get doubled. I'm probably going to – people are going to double me, and then the opposite person from the opposite corner 
is going to sit in the paint. So even if I split the big, it doesn't even matter because there's a third defender right there. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. So I had to constantly like watch film on myself over and over again with my coaching staff and by myself. And I had to learn like, all right, like this is how, like, you know what I'm saying? How to not turn the ball over because, Mm -hmm. and I had to learn simple plays is the better plays. Yeah. Okay. Just Mm -hmm. keeping it simple. And, and that's one thing, like when you're a high usage guy, it's hard to think simple sometimes because there's so many people around you or so many people like the balls in your hands all the time. You know what I'm saying? So it's hard to think that, but when you start thinking, all right, less is more, less is more, less is more, unless when you're trying to go get a bucket, when you're trying to yeah. get a bucket, that's different. You have to sometimes use more of your bag than usual. But when it comes to just passing the ball, like if I come off a ball screen and the person on the right wing, I'm coming off the right wing and the person hard hedges, and that opposite, the person on the right wing sinks in a little bit because he thinks I'm about to turn yep. the corner. It's an easy kick. You know what mm-hmm. I'm saying? Stuff like that. And I had to learn that more and more and more. And obviously, I had turnovers where I, I turned the ball over a lot sometimes. But then there was other time, times I had a high, high assist with one, maybe none, no turnovers, you know? And I just had to learn, like, less is more, less is more. Just keep it simple. Keep mm-hmm. it simple. Keep it simple. And that's just probably how I got to it. And obviously – Facing a year of double teams and boxing one and triple teams and all stuff like that, it made it way easier because I already seen it before. It was yeah, yeah. Team this year that I didn't see last year. For sure, for sure. And I, I think that showed too. I it, like you looked a lot more like comfortable and then like poised was yeah, the phrase that yeah. came up like in my notes. Like as I was going through, it's like more poised, more yeah, poised this season, more yeah. poised, more poised. Like it, it definitely seemed like the game slowed down a little bit. Um, so the the big the big knock on you is that yep. and I'm, I'm sure like you're like you're already he's, like i'm rolling my eyes sure. he's too um, yes yes i'm sure yeah like yeah. that's that's the big thing and i'm sure that there are a lot of teams that are probably overlooking you or just straight up being like we're not interested he's yeah. he's listed at 511 or whatever and like what would be your message to either evaluators or teams that are just saying like too too small for the nba i mean i would tell them that People said the same thing about me in college mm-hmm. and don't other people get evaluated on how they perform in college. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So then if you evaluate other people about how they perform in college then you should evaluate me on how I perform in college. And that's one thing I would say. And on top of it, I work hard mm-hmm. and, I, and, and I know that I'm little and it's not something that is like I just woke up with. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I've been it my whole life, and mm-hmm. I've overcome it time and time again. Mm-hmm. And obviously, the NBA is the best players are the best players, the greats are the greats. You know what I'm saying? People are best in the world, and and I understand that. But I feel like I work hard enough, and mm-hmm. I understand that I'm gonna have to work probably ten times as hard as someone who's six six. Who yeah, can do what I do. But at the end of the day, I feel like what I do is is special. And I feel like what I do can contribute to an NBA team, whether it, whether it is being a third-string point guard or a backup point guard, you know what I'm saying? Obviously, like starting in the NBA, that's everyone's goal. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. It is. Once you get older, you you have to be realistic with yourself. You know what I'm mm-hmm. saying? You have to be realistic with what an NBA team can see in you. And, and like mm-hmm. I said, like I can be one of them, them – them, third string point guards or that backup guard to where I can come in and just control the team and make open shots 
and, and guard someone 94 feet. You know what I'm saying? Obviously, in college, it was hard for me to – it wasn't hard. I would say it was harder for me to try to pick up defensively 94 feet yeah. while still having to carry so much of a heavy load offensively. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Night in and night out. Like, that's, mm-hmm. that's not easy. You know what I'm saying? And I don't see many small guards who are, you know what I'm saying, have the uses that I had picking up people every possession 94 feet and then still going down on offense and doing the same thing I'm doing. You know what I'm saying? That's it's not really realistic. Mm-hmm. Oh, man, I think my Wi-Fi is going out again. Oh, you're all right. You're all right. You're coming through on my side. So you're, so you're okay. Right. Um, yeah. So, and like, I think, I think part of your argument that's like in favor of you is that there are, um, oh, I think we may, we may be losing a little bit of signal here. Um, but I'll, I'm, I'm just going to kind of continue on for the time being. Um, there are guys that have made it that are this size. Like, it's not like, it's not like jelly is five one. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it's, it's not unprecedented. And I know that we're in an era that is, it's different and it's a, a size-based era. And that is, um, more important than it's, it's been in the past. Um, and I'm going to just resend that link to him real quick, get him back going. Um, but yeah, it's not totally unheard of. And I think a lot of the smaller players that, uh, that do make it are guys that look like jelly. Um, cool. Yeah. Okay, so I was just bro. saying, yeah, you're good. You're good. Uh, yeah. so I was just saying like a lot of the guys that do make it that are on the smaller side of the spectrum are guys that kind of play like you in different ways. Like it's a guy like a, like a Patty Mills, a guy like a DJ Augustine. Like it's dudes that yeah can shoot and can space the floor. Um, yeah. So what do you, at, like, what, mm-hmm. oh, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, not, not in the rugby, like the Patty Mills. Like, mm-hmm. I feel like that's a perfect, like, resemblance of what I can do. Like, I can mm-hmm. shoot the ball, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And at the end of the day, I can run a team. If you need me to get buckets, I can get buckets. If you need me to get the ball to a star player, I can do it over and over, you know what I'm saying? Or put him in the mm-hmm. best position for him to be successful. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's perfect. Like, that's, in my opinion, that's just how I, like, when I look at a player in the NBA, like, right now that, hey, like, who do you think you can model your game after? I would say Patty Mills easily. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's that's like a comparison I've seen a couple times. Like every time I see it, I'm like, that's that's the role. Like that's gonna be the if if like if it works out, like that's what it's gonna look like. It's gonna be that type of. So is that yeah. like the role that you see yourself playing as being sort of that like the point guard that is a floor spacer and is like fine operating without the ball, and then occasionally like you run some pick and roll and like that sort of thing. Like is that kind of the role you see yourself playing at the next level? Yes, yes. Mm-hmm. Whether. Cause I don't need the ball in my hands. I've, I've, mm-hmm. I've shown that in college. I don't need the ball in my hands. Like I don't have to have the ball in my hands, but if the ball needs to be in my hands, I can have it in my hands. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? And I space the floor enough. I mean, I shoot the, I shoot the ball well enough to where they can't just leave me and I won't just be a yeah. liability on the floor. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm like, here's, here's the stat that I think backs up your point. I'm on synergy right now on so this year and like this again like just ties into like how heavily you regarded uh you took 31 threes that were spot ups that were like no dribble like just catch the ball shoot it you made 58.1 percent of those threes this season that were no dribble no dribble threes 
Say that again. So, uh, so, so yeah. So on synergy, they track like no dribble jumpers from three where it's like situations yeah. where you're spotted up, you catch the ball. You don't, you don't have to dribble. Like you just sh- shoot it. So only 31 yeah. of your threes were no dribble jumpers, which just like speaks to like the difficulty, of the shots you're taking, but you made 58.1% of your no dribble threes. <laughs> and the reason so that's, that's a good number. No, yeah. That's what, that's the reason why I had to dribble a lot is people. So many people, consumed with me i'm mm-hmm. getting five players in the court looking at me even if i come up for them stagger screens you know what i'm saying the baseline screens the person who's th- passing me the ball their person that's guarding them is hedging towards me mm-hmm. so either i can shoot it or i gotta throw it right back yeah yeah and I, I think that's another thing that you did well is i think you do a good job of like i always really value um like hyun jung lee at davidson was really good at this jordan hawkins is really good at this at uconn is yeah. the like the quick move the ball if, if the shot's not there. Yeah. Like I thought that's something that you do really well. Um, yes. So uh, we've, we've talked about your role. We've talked about your game quite a bit. What have you been most focused on during your pre-draft process? Like what element are you of your game? Are you like, I'm really trying to get this up to a higher level and like kind of the thing that you're excited to show off that might be a little new or different to, well, based on what we've seen on the college film? Obviously, I definitely want to show off I mean, I, they know I can shoot, but I don't, I don't want to show like, like, hey, he can like high volume shoot. You know what I'm mm-hmm. saying? And range, not just on the NBA line. I mean, way further back. And yeah, I like yeah. College, I've showed that, but that's what I'm really trying to show at Portsmouth too. Um, the other thing I'm trying to show is like my poise and the way I read the game, and mm-hmm. where even if someone's pressuring me, I never get rattled. Mm-hmm. never look like I'm going faster than I should, even though I'm extremely fast. As I want to show people is like my handle is, I feel so confident in my handle. And you'll know that I'm confident in my handle because when they're pressuring me, I don't even, it's like, it's like the ball is literally on a string, you know? Mm-hmm. And then lastly, it's just my playmaking, playmaking for sure. You know, mm-hmm. like just making them right reads, the simple plays to where, the big is open a little slight pocket pass or got to skip it to the opposite corner because the opposite corner is helping on that roll. You know what I'm saying? Or this the reverse pivot because the opposite corner is open, but then the person on the wing drops down to the opposite corner. Now it's reverse pivot on that wing to maybe get a two-on-one on the backside and stuff like that, you know? And then obviously last but not least defensively, like I'm mm-hmm. 94 feet every time, you know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? To show people that, hey, I, I really can play defense and I really can get after it defensively. You know what I'm saying? And that's what I probably like. That's the only way I played, you know what I'm saying, when I was younger. Before UAB, even at Tulane, we were in a matchup zone, but like that's the only way I stayed on the court was defensively. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I, I love to hear all that, man. I'm I'm excited to see what you do at Portsmouth. I'm excited to see what comes next in the journey after that. Yes, uh, really appreciate you taking the time. This has been an awesome, awesome interview. Um, where can people find you on social media and continue to follow the journey? Um, well, on Instagram, you can follow me at jellyfam.j. And then on Twitter, I believe my Twitter is jellyfam underscore J. So, yeah, that's that's how you can follow me and stay up uh, updated with me and, and my process uh, throughout the draft and stuff like that. So and just see what happens next to me in my basketball career. For sure. For sure. We really appreciate you having on. Uh coming on here and, and talking to us, talking about your journey and, and everything that you've got going. So we appreciate it. Uh, we appreciate everybody listening to this here. Make sure you're subscribed to the feed. Uh, we've got 
free podcast content for you every single day and free written work every day as well on noceilingsnba.com. So make sure you're subscribed to our Substack as well as this feed. And we appreciate you guys tuning in. Have a great day. Hey, man, I appreciate you having me. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Folks, welcome to the No Ceilings NBA podcast feed. I am Maxwell Baumbach, and I've got another prospect interview for you here today. Um, as we are gearing up for the Portsmouth Invitational, uh, we've got a preview coming out this week, and we'll also have a recap the week after. Uh, I've got the chance to sit down and talk with another player who's going to be participating in the Portsmouth Invitational. I'm very excited to be joined by him. Uh, he just finished up a great season at Toledo. He's one of the most efficient scorers in college basketball. He is JT Shoemate. JT, how are you doing today? I'm good. I just got back from the pool, so I'm feeling really good. I'm oh, nice. That's yeah. great. That's great. So we're going uh, to kind of get into the nitty-gritty of your game for people who might not be familiar with it uh, and, and kind of let them know what to look out for. But I always just like to start at, at the very, very beginning. Um, how did you get into the game of basketball growing up? Um, my dad was a big part of it. He was okay. a coach growing up. He coached me a lot growing up. He coached my sisters in high school. Um, both my sisters are division one basketball players, by the way. Yeah. I was uh, going to say, I, I know that I think one of them was at Ohio state and one of them also played in the Mac too, right? Yeah. One at Kent state. Okay. Yep. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, that was a really big thing. I just kind of fell in love with it. Um, from the time I was probably like eight, you know, I mean, mm -hmm. really early and, um, yeah, just been playing ever since. It's it's great. Did you have any like players or teams that like really kind of got you even more into it where it's like, hey, that's my guy, like that's my favorite player, that's my favorite team, anything like that early on? Um, I really liked watching Kyrie growing up and Katie. Mm -hmm. Um, both those guys just like their ability to put the ball in the basket mm -hmm. is just insane. Um, mm -hmm. and then like a guy like Gordon Hayward is more like someone that I see myself like, where I'm just like, mm -hmm. man, that's, that's, that's really impressive what he's been able to do. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so your story is a lot different than a lot of guys that, um, you know, we're going to be talking to throughout this, this process. So you actually started at Walsh, which is a division two. Um, what was your recruitment like in high school? And like, how did, how did somebody who's now playing at Portsmouth start out at a division two? Were you a late bloomer? Was it like a growth spurt thing? Like how, how did you start out at Walsh? What led to that? I was a hundred percent a late bloomer mm -hmm. um, in high school, but I think the 
um, just my like lack of quickness, lack of strength coming out of high school was a big part of me only being recruited by division two schools. I never lacked skill. That wasn't really what they were talking about. It was just like, I was like a buck 80 coming out of high oh, school. Really? Okay. Yeah. And I just, I mean, I had to put on weight and I had to, um, you know, keep working on my game and trying to get quicker. And were you, were you still like six, seven during that time or did you grow? Okay. Latest? okay. I was, I was my junior year of high school. I was six, seven. Okay. But, so it was um, just the frame and everything like that coming together. Right. Yeah. I just was filling out more. Mm-hmm. So then uh, you play a couple seasons there. You do really well. Um, you end up transferring up to Toledo when you had that opportunity and you were looking at, at different schools, what led you to Toledo? Honestly, it was the best offer that I had come out of Walsh. I felt like as far as division school, division one schools went, they had had the most win, like winning culture. And it just seemed like it was going to be a really good place for me. Uh, the coaching staff was really cool. Felt like a family environment that people worked hard in. I wanted to go somewhere that like basketball was a priority and it felt like it was, that was the case in Toledo. And it definitely was. Well, it's, it's interesting you mentioned that because it just seems like there's really started to be a just strong winning culture there and guys get better. There is the other thing where it's like, you look at a guy like Ray J Dennis, or you look at Cedric Milner or, uh, you know, Ryan Rollins from year one to year two. Like, it just seems like it's a, great developmental program um why do you think it is that they've kind of had success where it's just like because you, you, you see guys like all the time and like i run into this and if that is an evaluator where i'll see a guy they'll have promise and you'll get excited to see him the next year and then they just don't get any better <laughs> where it seems like it, it, toledo guys are consistently getting better year over year what do you think they do differently that that's kind of led to that well i think it's the workouts i mean every day before we had practice we would have 30 45 minute shooting times so we we were always in the gym before practice started and it wasn't like a thing where they're like yeah you have to come shoot at this time it's just like it was kind of known like um marion jackson and spencer littleson were the oh were yeah the yeah classroom. when i first mm-hmm. got there uh really good basketball players both yeah. really skilled guys could shoot mm-hmm. the crap out of the ball i mean yeah like, good good basketball players but they um they really set the culture it felt like there to where like it was expected like guys are, are gonna be in the gym before practice starts and that was i mean that's what gets you better being in the gym mm-hmm. it's, it's pretty simple yeah and i mean those guys are super talented players like little since the guy who played summer league and marion jackson went on to play at arizona state like there's there's been a lot of talent that goes through those doors at toledo right. um when you moved up to the division one level what was like what was the biggest adjustment for you like what was the biggest thing where it's like this is a little different i'm gonna have to get used to this versus playing it at the division two level I'd have to say the speed of the game, the length and athleticism of the players, because mm-hmm. again, like the skill was not different. Like division mm-hmm. two skill, like the guys are skilled, guys mm-hmm. are skilled, but it's the, it's the length, the athleticism. I remember one time we were playing at Akron and I'm just like, the game is just passing me by. I'm, I played like 30 minutes, but it felt like <laughs> yeah. I, was just, I was barely out there. Like I'm just, I'm watching the game from inside the game. <laughs> <laughs> and that that was a big wake up call for me. I was like, man, I gotta get I gotta get hip to this really quick. Mm-hmm. And what do you think did it? Do you think it was just the reps and just kind of being thrown into the fire and figuring it out, or was there anything where it was like, man, once I figured out this, it really clicked? I think just being thrown into it. I mean, uh, you got to do something before you can really know how to do it. You know what I mean? Yeah, so yeah. Like, I think I just needed to be put in that situation and put into it um, en- enough times. Mm-hmm. 
Um, so well, let's get into, into your game a little bit. Um, because you're, you're a really talented player. You were one of my favorite guys to watch this year. Uh, and the Mac, just like the last couple of years in general, there's been a, a lot of talent coming through that league. Um, how would you describe yourself as a player for someone who's never seen you before? Um, I'd say I'm a, a guy who can stretch the floor with my ability to shoot. Um, I'm a guy that can pass, dribble, and shoot. I'm a, I'm a skilled player that is never not going to play hard. I'm, you know what you're getting with me, and I'm not going to take bad shots. That's the other yeah, thing. yeah. That's so. That's a really, the not taking bad shots thing is actually a great place to start. Uh, as is your ability to stretch the floor. So, over each of the last two seasons, you shot over sixty percent on twos and over forty percent from three. And generally, when you see that kind of efficiency, the three point volume is kind of low. But you took over seven threes for hundred possessions in both of those two seasons. Um, your your touch is, is stellar, and you're a great free throw shooter as well. Um, eighty four percent during your Division one seasons. Um, is your touch and your shooting is that an element of the game that's come naturally to you, or is that something that you've had to develop? And if so, how has that sort of come along? I think that just like from the the first time I picked up a basketball, it was very apparent to me that like I was not going to be the quickest person. So mm-hmm. I knew that I would have to be a really good shooter. Like there's no way I wasn't going to be. So I made it a priority and, um, you know, like I said, like my dad helped me a lot with that. You know, I've, I've probably changed my shot. I mean, I don't know. I've, I've probably changed it 20 times over the course. Oh, really? Of okay. Yeah. But just like, just figuring out what works and, um, you know, repping it enough times so you know it's going to work. So that, that actually leads into the next thing I wanted to ask you, which is, one thing I think that, I mean, obviously outside the fact that like the ball goes in the basket, that is, that is very projectable about your shot and something that I think makes you um, more intriguing at the next level than a lot of other guys that, that hit a high percentage from three is the speed of your release. Like you catch the ball, there's not a dip on it and it goes up quick um, from the time that you catch the ball at the time it goes up is very fast. Um, did you just settle upon that release naturally or was that something where you had your shooting motion and you made a cognizant decision to, to speed it up? Uh, I think there was a time when like I, I really made a conscious effort to speed it up. Just knowing that um, maybe when I actually came to Salido, just knowing that I needed to get it off quicker because you know, the guys were going to be quicker. So I think I made a pretty conscious effort at that point to speed it up. Awesome. Awesome. Well, it looks good. It went in. So um, the next thing I want to ask you about is sort of your versatility on the defensive end of the floor. Um, you did mention, you know, speed, not necessarily for your forte, but it's obvious that watching the games, you're communicating a lot on that end of the floor. And because you fill out your body, you are really strong. So you've got some strength, you've got length, and it kind of enables you to guard multiple positions, guard up and down a little bit. Um, and like that IT game against Michigan, for example, there was a possession where you switched on to Kobe Bufkin and you also guarded Hunter Dickinson a lot. Um, so can you speak about like your versatility on the defensive end of the floor and how that's kind of developed over time? Yeah, I think that, um, just continuing to, to try to work on my lateral quickness has been a big thing. I wasn't asked to guard guards a lot at Toledo. So that's mm-hmm. something I've been trying to put myself in as many situations, um, you know, like who's who's your guards that you got? Asking people like who who you, who you got as far as guards? Can I guard them? Um, I'm out here at Impact in Vegas right now, and I've been mm-hmm. um, I've been guarding a lot of guards, and uh, I mean it's, it's it hasn't been bad. You know, I mean I I use my length 
um, just try to like, you know, be a, be a reasonable distance away from the ball. And I mean, provide a little bit of pressure to it um, without obviously getting uh, blown by. So like, Mm -hmm. I think that's, uh, I think that using my length is going to be a big thing when it comes to guarding guards is the next level. For sure. Yeah. And then um, kind of the big thing that sticks out, on the defensive end is uh like you grade out well just like statistically in terms of like steals and blocks but like your block rate is really high for somebody who projects to play as a forward um can you talk a little bit about your shot blocking and is that just a matter of reading plays or knowing rotations like why why do you think you block so many shots uh i think my mom blessed me with long arms so that's a big part <laughs> of it uh, mm-hmm. yeah i think that you know obviously having length is important to block shots but i've gotten better at timing um, which is also a big part. I think also guarding centers at Toledo, uh, a lot of times they couldn't shoot. So I was mm-hmm. able to help. I was able to help a lot knowing that, you know, I didn't really care where they were a lot of the mm-hmm. time unless they were in the dunker spot. You know what I mean? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so kind of projecting forward and looking forward, um, what do you see your role being on an NBA team if everything goes well you hear your name called on draft night like what do you see your role being in the NBA uh I'd be a a three or a stretch four and I would space the floor I mean as as simple as that as far as offense goes I mean I would just see myself being somebody who can be a role player and can um you know provide space for guys who are getting to the basket or Mm -hmm. Nope, I think we might have lost you there. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Hey, sorry, we lost you for a second there. So, yeah, so you're saying uh, three or stretch four? Yeah, I mean, just um, being someone who spaces the floor, not going to be someone, you know, obviously with a whole bunch of bink bink stuff off the dribble, but I, I want to be someone who's, you know, prepared to make a read off of a closeout, knock down open shots, um, play as hard as I can on defense, and be a, like a glue guy, like just mm-hmm. – um, you know, I mean, I've, I've always been that for teams. I'm not, I'm not a guy who's going to mess up your chemistry. So I just want to, I want to be someone who, you know, is going to play as hard as he can every game and knock down shots. Mm -hmm. That's, that's great. Love that answer. Um, What have you been focused on most during your pre-draft process? Like, is there, I know you talked about covering guards and things like that. Are there other elements of your game you're saying like, I really want to improve here or, you know, when you're at an event like Portsmouth, like you're excited to show off a new skill, like what, what's kind of been the, the focus of your development? Um, I'd say just like getting to my pull up more often. I, I didn't get to that very much in Toledo um, as far as offense goes, but yeah, guarding guards is going to be a big thing. Um, getting stronger. I've been, I've been trying to get stronger. Uh, that's uh, another big point. I need, I need my body to look more like an, an NBA body, you know what I mean? So that's, that's taking top priority too. Awesome. Awesome. Well, that, that does it for me. I I really appreciate you taking the time to come on here and giving everybody a chance to get to know you, uh, for people who are interested in kind of following your journey and and following you going forward, where can people find you on social media? Um, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm J shoe 32 on, uh, Instagram J shoe with, three U's on, on Twitter that the, the, the J shoe was already taken. So yeah. <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. yeah. 
apologies. That's, well, that's good for NBA teams to hear. You're resourceful. You find a way to make it work, even, <laughs> even when it's not the easiest thing. So, so that that's great, man. I, again, I, I really appreciate you taking the time. JT's a really good player, very fun to watch. We're looking forward to seeing what you do at Portsmouth and, and going forward from there. We're excited to see how your career plays out. Awesome. Thanks, Max. No problem. Thanks for joining us. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Welcome to another Prospect interview here at No Ceilings. I am Maxwell Baumbach, and I am joined today by another participant in the Portsmouth Invitational coming up this week. He is a big man out of University of Alabama, Birmingham. He is none other than Trey Jemison. Trey, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, man. Thank you for having me on. Yeah, no problem. We're, we're glad to have you. You uh, just wrapped up a great season. Uh, you were uh, one of the all-conference selections for Conference USA, two-time uh, Conference USA all-defensive team. Uh, really, really fun player. If you haven't gotten to see him or you didn't check out a lot of UAB this year, uh, very good defender, very good rebounder, very good play finisher. So we're going to kind of get into all that, the nitty-gritty of your game and, and all that here in a bit. Uh, but I like to start with the the absolute basics at the very beginning. What kind of got you into basketball growing up? I mean, being seven feet tall, is it one of those things where it's kind of pushed on you? Or like, was there a moment where you're like, you know what, I, I love basketball? Um, my mom used to play with me in the driveway growing up mm-hmm. and playing with her in the driveway was kind of that thing like, Hey, I love doing this each and every day. And just doing that growing up, the, the height came later, you know what I'm saying? The height came yeah, yeah, yeah. school, but, um, in elementary school, I played with my mom in the driveway after work and it was just so fun. I enjoyed mm-hmm. it and just fell in love with the game throughout that. Did she play at all? No, she did not. She, uh, she really? played a little bit okay. of Auburn. She played, um, uh, in the mirrors at Auburn. That's, that's about okay. it. Okay. <laughs> that's pretty crazy because i feel like now like so many people you talk to him it's like oh yeah my dad was a pro my mom was a pro whatever mm-hmm. like it's nice to see these get these future pros coming up that that hey you know your parents don't have to be pros gives gives yeah. me hope for my kids that, yeah. <laughs> that they that they still got a shot so yeah. um yes that's really cool uh so you initially um you kind of had had a bit of a different career it's like a lot of guys now we're starting to see it more and more start start at one college end up in another um, yep. So you played your first two years at Clemson, um, mm-hmm. but coming out of like high school and things like that, what was your recruitment like? Like what was kind of the feel toward you coming out of high school? Were you like a common high major target or, or what kind of schools were looking at you then? Yeah. So leaving high school, man, I think I was, I might've been all of six, nine. Oh, really? Okay. And you know what I'm saying? Soaking wet. And um, I had a, a major knee injury uh, okay. December of my senior year, man. So I kind of lost a lot of offers. Uh, Clemson stuck around, Georgia Tech stuck around, Harper stuck around, and just liking Coach Brownell and what he had for me and his team. I ended up going to Clemson, man. It was a great opportunity for me to grow mm-hmm. up and mature, man. So it was it was different, man. High school recruitment was I wasn't a, a five star. I believe I might have been a four, mm-hmm. five years now, but um, yeah. <laughs> but um, high school recruitment was a journey, but it was fun. 
Mm-hmm. Well, and it's interesting that you mentioned, so like people that, again, like might not be familiar with your game, you're mentioned like being 6'9", being skinny. Yeah. It's hard to imagine because now you're seven feet tall, you're 260 pounds is, is yeah. what you're listed at here that I've got. So um, when did you kind of grow into your body? Because it's a common story. I feel like uh, like I talked to Jake Stevens a little while ago and that was yeah. something he mentioned, like similar thing for him. When did you finish growing and when did you start to fill out physically? Um, so when I had knee surgery of 2018, mm-hmm. I, I didn't do any cardio. I just sat on my butt. I had crutches, man. And I was just lifting weights and, and eating. Mm-hmm. When you go to college <laughs> school like Clemson, you're getting four minutes a day, man. So mm-hmm. I was I was eating good up there, man. And I remember, I think I went home for Christmas. My mom saw me for the first time and I was mm-hmm. 285 at this point. <laughs> yeah. Who was this kid? <laughs> And I was like, man, I just been eating and working out. But mm-hmm. throughout that time, my freshman year of college, I kind of grew a little bit more, put a whole lot of weight on, man, just got to grow into my body. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So during those first two seasons at Clemson, um, you didn't see the floor come. Like you were you were getting kind of minutes here and there. You appeared at 30 games your sophomore year. So it's one of those things where like you were you were getting on the floor, but you didn't really break out until it was your your junior season at UAB. Yeah. Um, where like all of a sudden it's like, whoa this guy came out of nowhere. He's blocking over two shots per game. Yeah. Um, what kind of clicked for you when you transferred over to UAP? I think my kind of UAP, um, I got fully healthy. You know what I'm saying? Okay. So freshman year of, of Clemson, I should have redshirted. Um, I kind of encouraged coach to let me play, which is a young mistake I made. But um, mm-hmm. when I, so I was never fully healthy, um, I had two concussions my sophomore year. So I was also out for that. Mm-hmm. Kind of just never in rhythm, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. It's kind of just on a health basis, you know, man. And coming to UAB, I took time, I matured to say, hey, my health is very important. And mm-hmm. just getting my health right and getting healthy and just getting the gym more. When you're hurt, you can work out consistently. Yeah. That, that slows your game down. So coming to UAB, I was able to get healthy, man, and stay healthy and stay in the gym and just my rhythm came back, my timing came back, and it just all worked out. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, so you mentioned rhythm and timing. And I, I feel like that's like one of the first things I really kind of want to dive into here is yeah. your timing and awareness on the defensive end. Mm-hmm. Um, so obviously, like, I feel like scouting big men can be kind of tough if you're not like in the weeds. Yeah. Uh, just like from my side as an evaluator, like there are so many big men where like you see it's like, all right, they, they have good rebounding stats, they, they block shots uh and and they score a good amount of points or whatever and like they kind of all sound the same like if you're just yeah. sort of paying attention it's like oh yeah he, he dunks he block shots whatever um but one thing i think you do really well is you have very good anticipation on mm-hmm. the defensive end and you get into position really quickly because yeah. as big as you are you move well and you get off the floor really easily um can you talk a little bit just about your like growth as a defender and and just how you've evolved on that side of the floor over time well, it took a long time, man. So with those two years at Clemson, I wasn't getting as much burn on the court. Mm-hmm. So I didn't have many game reps, you know what I'm saying? Pra- practice is great, you know what I'm saying? Practice is amazing. But you need game reps, you know what I'm saying, to get to be an elite-level basketball player. And at, at UAB, I was able to get those game reps. Mm-hmm. So as time went on, I was able to, hey, get in the rhythm and learn, hey, move your feet a little better, you know what I'm saying? Plant your foot, mm-hmm. time to block shot the right way. And just throughout the course of the years, it came along, and I've gotten great at it. But mm-hmm. I believe, to be honest, man, it's one of the things that if you're not playing the game consistently, you can lose that. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Believe, even the mm-hmm. best of us, you know what I'm saying? Like, hey, you see guys get hurt, be out nine months. It's like, all right, give him a few games, he'll be okay. Mm-hmm. I, I need that time to get right and get on my time. And once I got that, bro, it skyrocketed. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, and I mean, two two all defense team selections. He blocked two point seven shots per game this year. You had a three point two season in there, a two point five season in there on blocks. So really, a big a big strength for you. I, I talk about it all the time, but I keep like a, a running log of of players that have made it in the NBA and that, that stick around. Like your block rate is one of those things where it's like a, a really good indicator for you as yeah. far as like how many shots you're blocking. Um, but something else that I think is interesting too is. Um, the number of steals that you get actually grades out pretty well too. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can kind of hold your own out on the perimeter. So um, you're not like just a big guy that's going to be confined to to playing and drop coverage, you know, when a team sets a screen. So you can, you, can you talk a little bit about just like your versatility defensively and, and kind of the different ball scheme coverages and things like that, that you're going to be able to play. Yeah. So playing for Andy candy, man, is, is, is a challenge, man, to be honest, Andy candy changes defenses so quick. I mean, We'll go from 13, we'll go from, excuse me, one three one mm-hmm. to 2-3 to man-to-man all in one position, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So doing that for three years, I've adapted to, hey, I have to guard everybody, you know what I'm saying? I can't just guard the 16 kid down in the pan. I got to be able to guard the guards, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Throughout the summer, playing with my teammates to pick up and playing with guys, I, I practice on, hey, moving your feet, man, just not being able to sit there and just being a stuck of mud, just moving my feet and switching on ball screens because if you just – I sit and drop coverage all day, you know what I'm saying? Guys are great shooters now. They're shooting yeah. all day, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Coaches can't play you like that. So mm-hmm. once I kind of grew into my body and I wear size 17, learned that, hey, these are a part of me now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was able to, hey, adjust and move my feet a whole lot better. And, and like, so you mentioned like practicing with your teammates and the help that that gave you. And it's, it's interesting because you played with two of the most dynamic guards in the country. You played yeah. with Deli Walker, who's a guy who's very good at, at generating space and sidestepping and stepping back and taking threes from such deep range that you really have to come out on him. And then also a guy like Eric Gaines, who just has like ridiculous blow by speed. Yeah. How much did practicing with them? Cause I feel like a lot of times people talk about like, Oh, they played with these guards. People just think about it on the offensive end of the floor, yeah. but practicing against them on the other end of the floor. How did that kind of help your development? It, it, it was huge, man. I mean, personally, I mean, I'm definitely on bias, but, but Jelly and Eric are two of the best guards in the country. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And Jelly, one time leading the nation in scoring and having to go against that, you know what I'm saying? Having to make sure, Hey, you can't drop back on Jelly and balls from coverage. So I'm going to shoot that three oh, no. 40 feet. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. So being able to hard head and switch out and move consistently day in and day out, I got used to it. So I got to a different guard and different games. It was like, it's easy now because yeah, it's the best. Yeah, those are and like those are just two guys that like epitomize what you talked about, where it's like the guards that are fast, the guards that can shoot. Right. And you kind of have the luxury of getting to getting to practice against those guys. Yeah. Um, another thing I think you do really well is play on the offensive glass. Yeah. Uh, you've averaged like over two and a half offensive rebounds a game each yeah. of the last three seasons. Uh, can you just talk about what you bring as far as like your mentality on the offensive glass and how you try to play the offensive boards just to, to keep those extra possessions alive for your team? Yeah, we're nine times out of 10, man. I'm usually setting a ball screen, you know what I'm saying, up in the three-point line or out away from the rim. And I track the ball as soon as it leaves my point guard hands. Mm-hmm. So in the, air, the guys that hitting me, I'm getting to that rim. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was crazy. A lot of times, like, I wouldn't even grab the ball. I would make sure that I would tip it to my teammates, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Because it's just quicker that way, you know. If I come yeah. down, go make a move, it's, it takes time. But if I catch in the midair and throw it to my team at three-point line, we, we, we're going, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. So just That's a big part of us, you know what I'm saying? And so it hurts the other team so much, you know. You didn't guard mm-hmm. for 20 seconds. Not like an offensive rebound. Now you just feel defeated. <laughs> yeah, yeah. When they say like statistically, that's the best time to take a three is often offensive rebound. Yes. So even when you get guys that are are grabbing it and come down and kicking it out, but 
in your case too, when you can just bat it out too, it's even yeah. faster. It's harder for a defense to recover. They're left scrambling. They can't get in a position to contest. Right. Um, something else like I kind of like about your game too, is that um, you can still go on the block. Like yeah. a lot of big guys, I don't say they don't have it, but like they'll get the mismatch and the ball will get thrown into a big man. And like, yeah. you can tell like there's not really comfortable in the post, but like yeah. you've got some moves, you've got some wiggle. Can you talk about like the benefits of still having a, a post game in today's game? Cause I think a lot of guys just overlook it. Yeah. Well, well that's the thing, man. I'm in my, in my size. I'm just one of the bigger guys usually always on the floor mm-hmm. and being able just to be solid and dominant down there and efficient down in the paint. is just huge, man. You know, everybody shoots threes. I mean, yeah. when it gets that way, everybody can get up a three, but when well, I'm down in that paint, you got to come down there and guard me too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, being able to be dominant down there and, you can't switch off on me on ball screens. If I'm going to roll down there, it's an automatic two points. Mm-hmm. And having, having that type of mindset and that type of mobility in the paint is bad on the defense because they have to adjust. You know what I'm saying? A lot of teams like to switch one through five. What, well, you can't with us. Well, with mm-hmm. me, because when I get down there, I'm going <laughs> to sit down there like a big wall and go finish. Yeah. Having yeah. that is just huge nowadays. A lot of guys just do like the pick and pop. And, I mean, mm-hmm. it's cool. You, you got to have that in your game. But you can't do the basics, man. You can't do the best. Mm-hmm. yeah yeah i think and that's a good way of putting it um and like you mentioned like always being one of the bigger guys on the court yeah. um it's something that stands out to me quite a bit is i think something that like people in in my space like the media evaluators and things like that people that don't have a lot of the high level experience like whenever i talk to people that have, have played at the highest level and things like that one thing they always mention is like the athleticism and physicality, athleticism and physicality. Like it's the yeah. one thing that people on the outside tend to over like overlook more than anything. Um, how much of an advantage does your strength and physicality give you on the court? Cause I it, think it's one of the things that like, it's just people miss it. People are so caught up in like the intricacies and the things they see on film, but it's hard to quantify it. Yeah. It's a huge advantage, man. I, huge advantage, man. I have um, a buddy from Middle Tennessee who told me it's just hard guarding me. Cause even if I don't get the ball, I'm pushing on you. I'm banging on you. You know what I'm saying? For 30 mm-hmm. minutes of the game. And now you're just so sore. You know what I'm saying? You're going to mm-hmm. halftime feeling like, whoa, I'm not, I'm not going to play football with this guy. And that's just yeah. part of me, you know what I'm saying? Just being stronger and physical at every possession. Because sometimes mm-hmm. I might not touch the ball. You know what I'm saying? I might not even get offensive rebound. But you having to box me out. You having to guard me on that ball screen. I'm hitting you consistently. It's like, dang, it's rough. So mm-hmm. pretty much giving that wear and tear. Like, hey, this guy needs a sub now because he's just so tired. Yeah. And it's, it's huge for me, man. Mm-hmm. That's great. That's great. Um, so one thing I always like to ask everybody is, you know, you're going through this process and everything like that. And yeah. it's usually an adjustment in terms of role. Like a lot of, a lot of people that are going through this process are used to always being a star, always being a focal point. Yeah. Um, what do you see your role being? If an NBA team, you know, picks you up immediately, you're, right. you're playing on an NBA team. What do you see your role looking like? To, to be honest, man, I think I'm different from other guys in that perspective. I think I'm just, I'm gonna be the same. Like, yeah, yeah. I, come from, I come from a team where I wasn't the star. Um, mm-hmm. I was I was a main player for sure, but like yeah. you said, I had two big time guards and Eric Gaines and Jelly Walker and the other great teammates around me. So I was never like like just that dude, you know. Mm-hmm. So I like I'm the best role player in college basketball because mm-hmm. I'm gonna go set every screen. I'm gonna try to get every. Yeah. I'm gonna talk on defense. I know the plays by heart. And I think it's the same thing for NBA, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. If I go to the NBA team, they won't, I won't be the leading scorer. I know that right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. If I do go, I'm going to be a great rebounder, an even mm-hmm. better screener, you know what I'm saying, shot blocker, and just continue to be elite at those things, to be the best role player possible. That's great. And I, I love that you touch on screening too, because that's another yeah. thing that, like, I mean, I'm 
I'm six five, so I'm not the same size you were. But when I played, that's that was the position I played in, in yeah. high school was being a big and like it's sort of a lost art. Like you see so many guys because like you mentioned, like a lot of pick and pop and things like that. A lot of guys are a little too content to slip a little too content yeah. uh, to just not make full contact on a screen. Um, so what is, what are you thinking as you go to set a screen for a player? Like what kind of things are you taking into account? And what's your mentality? When you well, pick well, like you said, screening is an art, man. You have to know who you're screening for. You know what I'm saying? If I'm screening for Jelly Walker, and I know everybody in the nation is going to try to go over Jelly Walker's screen. <laughs> yeah. The goal is to make complete contact and hit him dead in his face. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Not illegal screen, but make sure that, hey, Jelly has enough time to get his shot off. You know mm -hmm. what I'm saying? If it's Eric Gaines, people have to go under him because he's not as good of a shooter as Jelly. Mm -hmm. If I set my screens lower, and just knowing your teammates, know who you're screening for in that situation is huge, man. And and what I've learned throughout playing five years of college basketball is if you set great screens, you'll get the ball, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, if I set a good screen on Jelly and they overhelp, I'm wide open in the paint. Now mm -hmm. I'm dumping the ball with two hands behind my head, and it's like, I'm going to highlight now. <laughs> yeah. So screening is huge, man. Just mm -hmm. getting my teammates open, you know what I'm saying, and just getting the wide open in the paint just by – Screening and rolling hard is huge, man. Do you think that is like so? The, I, it's interesting that you said that, like, the better screen you set, like, the more likely you are to kind of get the ball in a good position. Yeah. But do you think that's why so many guys set bad screens? It's because they're worried about, like, well, I got to go get the ball. So, like, I, I got to start to roll or I got to start to pop. Like, do you think that's part of it? I think so. I, mean, I, I was that way at one point. I was thinking, like, hey, like, okay. you got to get out of here so fast. It's not the case. Mm -hmm. It's actually the opposite. You want to yeah. get there and make sure you make as much contact as possible. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. The point with the guard or whoever you're screening is stuck in his tracks. So you can mm -hmm. get out of there. And then, like, now you have a six-foot guard on you, you know what I'm saying? And he's trying to catch up behind you, and you're in the rim. And just – but a lot of guys think, hey, if I do it fast, it's better, and it's not the case. Yeah, yeah. I think that's I think that's spot on. And it's something that you notice, too. Like, I, uh, like the more people that I, I talk to in basketball, the more they stress the angle of the screen. And just, yeah. like, knowing where to set it, how to set it, and for who. Right. I, 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 yeah, it's a phenomenal answer. And I think that – younger players that are listening to this and things like that, like keep that in mind. If you were setting screens, like just know, know your personnel, like you said, um, as we're heading into the pre-draft process, what are the biggest things that you've been working on? Like, is there a focal point that you're saying, Hey, I really want to get better at this. Or are there areas that you're kind of excited to show off that you've, that you've been developing or anything like that? Yeah, man. So what's crazy, you know, we, we played our last game, March 30th, you know? Maybe, yeah. You guys just ended. Yeah. So I took like maybe three days off, man, and got right back to it. You know what I'm saying? Keep trying to keep my body healthy before Smith and just really just staying sharp on things I've been doing well. You know what I'm saying? I didn't have much of a time to adjust, you know what I'm saying, mm -hmm. and yeah. broaden my game. But also I am still, again, a basketball player. I do want to show that, hey, I have a good 15-footer. I can't handle the ball more than I have here. But just doing what I do best, man. You know what I'm saying? If I go mm -hmm. to Port Smith and block shots, rebound, and run the floor where I feel like, hey, I'm going to show people that, hey, he's a good basketball player. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I really appreciate you taking the time. This has been a great interview, man. It's it's always good to get the insight on some of the nitty gritty things with big men, because I think, I think the big man positions just get so overgeneralized and people are just like, Oh yeah, he, he dunks the flush shot. So it's nice to get into the, into the screening and into the rebounding and things yeah. like that. So I really appreciate you taking the time to do that with us today. Uh, where can people find you on, on social media and follow along with your journey? Man, I'm on Instagram at tallt underscore 23, man. My Twitter mm -hmm. got hacked a few years ago, so no Twitter. <laughs> oh, man. Just, just Instagram, mm -hmm. man. Great. Great. Sounds good. Well, we appreciate you taking the time. Make sure you're following Trey and his journey. And as always, we appreciate you guys tuning in on the No Ceilings NBA podcast feed and on the YouTube channel. Have a great rest of your day. Thank Take you. care.